Can you hear me through the microphone? <laughs> well, I said I have snowstorms in my blood, but boy, I wish they were there right now. <laughs> you have to forgive me. I am very warm. Uh, I just tend to be this way. It's not really nerves because I'm really not that nervous. But um, I just appreciate the opportunity. I tell you, having grown up here at Bear Valley and then get to be a part of it was just when Carla asked me, it was just amazing to me to to get to be a part of what has blessed me so much in my life. Before we start, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day, a day that's not so hot, a day that's beautiful, reminds us so much of your creativity, your glory, and your love for us in that you didn't have to make colors for the flowers and blue in the sky, but you did that because you knew that we would love it. Father, help us to always trust and always hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start out with kind of a lengthy quote. It, um, it was one that really spoke to me. And so I'm just going to read it. Come to me for, this is as if God were speaking. Come to me for rest and refreshment. The journey has been too much for you and you are bone weary. Do not be ashamed of your exhaustion. Instead, see it as an opportunity for me to take charge of your life. Remember that I can fit everything into a pattern for good, including the things you wish were different. Start with where you are at this point in time and space, accepting that this is where I intend you to be. You will get through today one step, one moment at a time. Your main responsibility is to remain attentive to me, letting me guide you through the many choices along your pathway. This sounds like an easy assignment, but it is not. Your desire to live in my presence goes against the grain of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Much of your weariness results from your constant battle against these opponents. However, you are on the path of my choosing, so do not give up. Hope in me, for you will again praise me for the help of my presence. I do at times feel a bit bone-weary. Not the kind of giving up weary, because I know the one who walks with me. Though he slay me, much of my weariness seems to come from striving to live strong in the Lord and yet struggling with the feeling of walking alone. I know I'm not alone, for God is always the one with me. Most of you know what I would be referring to this. God says in the poem Footprints, when there were one set of footprints, my child, that is where I carried you. He carries me and supports me even when I'm not the most cooperative. He says, my child, I never left you. Those places with one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. That long groove over there is where I dragged you for a while. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like God's going to get me there no matter what it takes. <laughs> so we're going to go back into some history. I had a dream from very young childhood. A dream I still believe was God-given. I carried my baby doll everywhere. 
and I mean everywhere. And I hit the computer button, which took it off. I think it'll go away. Escape. 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 Oh. Okay. I thought maybe, I think I just hit the new state. So I took my baby everywhere. My mom confirms I always carried her like a baby, no dragging her around by the hair for me. And she had PJs and church clothes and play clothes and she went with me to the car uh, in the car to worship and on the bed at night and she did everything I did now talking about a doll might seem a little bit strange for somebody like me Um, actually not for somebody like me (laughs) I can't turn the page This was my dream, the very beginning of it, and the history of my struggle in aloneness. I wanted to be a wife and a mom. My own wonderful mom, of, co- of course, was displaying this daily and still does, and I wanted to be just like her. I would, too, because that's what you did. You grew up and went to school and maybe college. You would date. You would find the one. Have the dream wedding. Now part of my dream would have been realized. A husband. Someone for whom I would do anything. Someone to whom I would be ultimately important. Yet I am not so naive, nor so hallmark indoctrinated, (laughs) to think this relationship would be easy or not requiring work to make a happily ever after. I assumed that the next part would eventually come after marriage, as it did for all my friends, a bouncing baby. But even before that, the knowledge, and then the movement inside, and the external visibility of life growing inside. Perhaps the absolute epitome of being a woman? Though he slay me, but none of that happened. Now college was over and I was still single without the one, but I was still not afraid. Many friends were like me and we created the singles group. We were young, we played, we interacted, we served God and we encouraged each other. And God was still the source of my hope. Another dream of mine for a long time was to do foreign mission work. Again, I had hoped to go with, uh, preferably a husband, but as that didn't happen, I chose to go anyway. (laughs) I worked with a congregation near Sydney, Australia. It was an incredible time of growth and learning. I had to hold the quote. (laughs) It was difficult to go alone, and yet it made me available to experience certain things since it was just me. I was only 27 when I came home from Australia, still having no fear about my dream timetable. I began teaching school and was active again with different singles groups. Then age 30 came, and with it increased internal disappointment. I worked and slept, and I worshiped God while I still questioned my purpose and his plan and timing. And then I was 40. Though he slay me, I struggled, and I still struggle. 
I struggle with what God wants me to do. I struggle with maintaining my hope. I struggle with my God-given dream and wondering if it is God-given. I struggle with the acceptance of the life that I am living while still wishing for something different. I struggle with prayer. I was praying for my hope and knew others were praying the same for me. Another quandary. Do I pray like the persistent widow, not giving up and maybe changing God's mind? Or do I pray like Paul, who received and accepted the response from God when the answer was, no, my grace is sufficient for you? Though he slay me. 50 years old. 50. And now plus. <laughs> Such a simple, unprepossessing, unprepossessing number, and yet scary. And grief. I had at various times and with various counselors and mentors and friends acknowledged that at this point, I probably should acknowledge the death of the lifelong God-given dream. My life's purpose, preparation, and plan had become a heartbreaking source of grief. I experienced many stages of grief, and the way that each stage is not necessarily resolved and is possibly repeated year after year is bone-wearying. Age 50. A much more tangible grief recognized. As though all of you in this room can relate to probably though my body had reminded me with precision for every month for 40 years <laughs> I acknowledge the death of a certain hope I would never bear a child though he slay me what had I done what had I not done why couldn't I have the simplest of dreams that all of my family, friends, and even some acquaintances, it seemed, had accomplished as easy as breathing? I had close friends who had been single as long as I had been, who could kind of relate, until they said, I do. Now I was faced with the ultimate self-doubting question, is something wrong with me? And how do I continue to hope? Another fairly long quote, but listen to it carefully. The very thing I thought would burn so brightly with joy has turned out to burn me. Hoping means I acknowledge reality in the very same breath I acknowledge God's sovereignty. My hope is not tied to my expectations finally getting met in my way, in my timing. My hope is tied to the unchanging promise of God. God loves us too much to answer our prayers in any other way than the right way. God loves us too much to answer our prayers any other way than at the any other time than at the right time. I must walk through God's process before I see his fulfilled promise. God is not picking on me. He's picking me to personally live out one of his promises. This is a high honor, although while going through the valley, it may not seem to be. I've got to walk through the low places of the process before I'm perfectly equipped to live with the promise. 
God has to take me through the process <clears throat> of getting unstuck from what's been holding me captive before I can stand firm in his promise. As I am working through the process on the way to the promise, I mustn't forget his presence as this is what steadies my hope for today. I will hope in him. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. My weaknesses being my strengths. This is not an unfamiliar verse to those of us who've been Christians for a long time. But it really is hard. I don't like my weaknesses. The very definition is something I want to work on to get better. But the key, of course, is so that the power of Christ may dwell in me in my weakness and struggles. My weaknesses as strengths. Hmm. Being alone? No. Being available. No children? Freedom avail of availability even at night. Also, all children become my children. Insecurity? For any weakness I can come up with, God can strengthen or fulfill as he wills. I can be honest with God about my hurt, even my feeling of betrayal that my dream that I felt was God-given was not fulfilled, and letting go what lies behind would help me open new doors for new things. One bold message in the book of Job is that you can say anything to God. Throw at him your grief, your anger, your doubt, your bitterness, your betrayal, your disappointment. He can absorb them all. As often as not, spiritual giants of the Bible are shown contending with God. They prefer to go away limping, like Jacob, rather than to shut God out. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. We are all pretty familiar with the book of Job, God and Satan, Job's wealth and loss, his wife, his friends, and his confidence in God. I can't even begin to imagine the pain and the grief and the disappointment that Job had on that single day where he lost everything. But let's take a look harder at Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Job is defending himself in the midst of his grief, his pain, his loss, the betrayal of his wife, and the sad unencouragement of his friends. The four friends' advice is more than just discouraging. It actually takes away what encouragement was even implied by their being there. Job is holding fast to his innocence and maintaining his desire to have an audience with God. Job's trust in God is absolute. He knows God works for good 
He knows God's timing and plan are unimaginable to the minds of men, but always ultimately good. In fact, his trust is so strong, he places his life in God's hand. I got him out of order. <laughs> Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. This does not feel like an unfamiliar place for Job. He has lived with his life and his hope in God's hand his whole life. Remember when I asked, how do I continue to hope? Take a moment and think about the depth of what Job is saying. This brings to mind when Job's wife told him, curse God and die. Job's statement is just as monumental. Not a chance. God could kill him where he stood, but he would hope in him all the way. Job would not be the one giving up on God, even if it resulted in his own death. If God thought Job, or we, could have handled the promise right now today, he'd have lifted him or us up today. In the same way, my going through what I must go through is not punishment to keep me from his promise. It is the exact preparation I need to handle the promise. The good thing that God is preparing for me. Just like in 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It would be deadly for God to put me up on that rock before I am strong, firm, and steadfast. God is far more concerned with my being prepared than my being comfortable. Sometimes we are so close to the pattern that we can only see the mess that is around us. But God is weaving a tapestry both within our lives and within creation itself that if we were able to pull back and look at it from his view, it would be a picture of Christ and his bride restored to one another. Some of the small parts of that story of that tapestry taken alone are not beautiful, but terrible and hard. But when woven together, makes something completely different and beautiful. Rarely does life happen in a way that is fully satisfying, bringing all joy and contentment. Our battles seldom stay won in a day-to-day -day battle. We can focus on the lack. Does this sound familiar? We only have manna. We want meat. <laughs> we can, or we can focus on the blessings God has provided with what we have. Noticing the little things of joy and love. And make a firm decision. Like the woman in the Old Testament, who's also had dreams that didn't turn out the way she probably planned. Leah, the daughter of Laban and sister of Rachel, was living a life that could have been a dream come true. Though often we feel sorry for Jacob for being tricked by his uncle, who sneaked Leah into Jacob's marriage, it's actually Leah whose story demonstrates the most painful reality. She was a pawn in her father's plan, whether willing or not, and she was undesired. God saw her pain and blessed her by giving her sons, which was a form of wealth and even favor in those ancient times. But you have to wonder about Leah's feelings towards God. He 
could have made her as beautiful as her sister. He could have, at the very least, let Jacob love her as a second wife. And we wonder about Leah's feelings towards Jacob. Did she have feelings for him? Did she wonder at Jacob's shallow vision? Or was it just too obvious that Jacob and Rachel were made for each other? Could Jacob at least appreciate her as a mother? Leah began maturing in her acceptance of her life, which appears in the progressions shown in the naming of her sons. The initial excitement, and dare I say hope, when her first child, Reuben, which means, behold a son, surely my husband will love me now. Then came Simeon, heard, and Levi, attached, thinking again of her husband. And maybe it implied that Leah dreamt that her husband would appreciate her even more now. Unfortunately, it appears the births had no effect on Jacob. However, when we get to the birth of Judah, as Leah names him, this time she says, this time I will praise the Lord. Leah turns from desiring only her husband's love and attention to basking in the love of God. This continued with the other boys. Gad, meaning fortune, and Asher, happy am I. Maybe Leah found some peace in her position and joy in building Jacob's family. We who know the rest of the story know that if she had not been in this situation and had Judah not been born, it would have affected all of Israel, including Jesus' genealogy. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. The struggle with my own dream provides me with a challenge to live my best life now, even though it will be different than what I planned. Had a conversation with a friend the other day, and we got started talking about our good old days and whether we'd go back. I said I would in order to change a couple things and do a couple things differently. She said while she might want to, she didn't like to regret, so she doesn't want to think about it. I told her I don't like to regret, but hopefully by having some regrets in my past can help me affect the decisions I make now to have fewer regrets in the future. I say all that to say I am trying to seize the day. Then I took that conversation that I had had to another friend named Jonathan, and he summed it up as learning from your mistakes and then make better decisions in the future. He said, but I would not change anything. The failures and pain I caused myself have made me exactly who I am today, and I am happy with that. I wouldn't change anything that may have led me down a different road that I was that was not in the plan set out for my life. Incredible insight from this gentleman. I stated that I wished I had felt more that way. I have a few instances where I wonder how if I had made the opposite decision, would it have changed my future into that one that I dreamed? Jonathan's response was, I think God is most likely always on plan A for you. There is no plan B. I think that with foreknowledge, not living bound by time, that God knows every decision you have made and will make and makes his plan according for your life. 
I think that though there may be decisions that you make that cause you pain or regret in some ways, he already knew that was coming and planned, knowing that for all these things he has for your life, he is never going to plan B for you. It is always plan A. If you had not made those decisions, you may not have learned from the pain you felt from them, and that may leave you where you would still make those mistakes in the future and miss out or lose something even better because you never learned the lesson. Sometimes learning the lessons, especially the hard lessons, make it so you don't miss out on future opportunities that God has planned for you and he knew you would not be able to get without learning from your past decisions. And so I choose And so I choose I can live a life that is small with elbows tucked in and safety, no bumps, but also no opportunities or hope or dreams. large and wide open where sometimes I bump elbows and people and maybe get hurt but I'm open to opportunities and joy and the security of the hope I have placed in God though he slay me I will hope in him and I know whom I have believed and am, am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've entrusted to him until that day. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> um, I have kind of uh, an extra thing at the back that since we have a few minutes extra before the forum starts, um, I'm going to read you bits of a children's book maybe any of you have heard of it's called have you filled a bucket today I read this and it just especially with a lot of the things I had been thinking through all of this and some of the pain that I had had when I read this it just brought me joy so I'm going to share it <laughs> all day long. Oh, I guess I need to get Maria off the screen. <laughs> All day long, everyone in the whole wide world walks around carrying an invisible bucket. You can't see it, but it's there. You have a bucket. Each member of your family has a bucket. Your grandparents, friends, and neighbors all have buckets. Everyone carries an invisible bucket. Ours aren't invisible. <laughs> <laughs> Your bucket has one purpose only. Can you still hear me? Yes. <laughs> its purpose is to hold your good thoughts and good feelings about yourself. You feel happy and good when your bucket is full. You feel sad and lonely when your bucket is empty. Other people feel the same way too. They're happy when their buckets are full and they're sad when their buckets are empty. It's great to have a full bucket and this is how it works. Other people can fill your bucket and you can fill theirs. You can fill your own bucket too. So how do you fill a bucket? You fill a bucket when you do, when you show love to someone, when you say or do something kind, or when you give someone a smile. That's being a bucket filler. 
A bucket filler is a loving, caring person who says and does nice things to make others feel special. When you treat others with kindness and respect, you fill their bucket. But you can also dip into a bucket and take out some good feelings. You dip into a bucket when you make fun of someone, when you say or do mean things, or even when you ignore someone. That's bucket dipping. Bullying is bucket dipping. When you hurt others, you dip into their bucket, but you dip into your own bucket as well. Many people think they can fill their own bucket by dipping into someone else's, but that never works. You never fill your own bucket when you dip into someone else's. But guess what? You can fill someone's bucket and your bucket gets filled too. You feel good when you help others feel good. All day long, we are either filling up or dipping into each other's buckets by what we say and do. Try filling a bucket and see what happens. You love your mom and dad, why not tell them that you love them? You can even tell them why. Your caring words will fill their buckets. Watch for smiles that light up their faces. You will feel like smiling too. A smile is a good clue that you have filled a bucket. If you practice, you'll become a great bucket filler. Just remember that everyone carries an invisible bucket and think of whatever you can do or say to fill it. There's a little more to the book, but you can get the point. And obviously it doesn't talk about God. God is the greatest filler of our buckets. As we read his word and as we spend time in the company of Christians that we love and trust with our very innermost secrets. So in the back, you can get a little bucket. There's some, a whole bunch of stickers. You can get two or three. And I just want you to keep this bucket just to remind you to be a bucket filler and to fill your own bucket. So when you see it, you can think, who can I, whose bucket can I fill today? And have I worked at filling my bucket by spending time with God? Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. I was looking around the room at all of the different people that came. I know just to support Shara and to fill her bucket because I tell you what, she is one of the ultimate bucket fillers that I know my whole life. She's done exactly what I hope she would do in encouraging others to, to deal with their disappointments in life in a godly way. So thank you, Shara, for what you said. And she'll, she's going to be there at the back with her mom, Carolyn, with these old buckets. And it's so like her to bring something for everyone else in this whole room. So mm-hmm. we have to share. Our next hour is going to be a forum of sorts. We're going to have a table up here, and I believe either, I can't remember if it's five or six women who have been through the program here at Bear Valley either the women's program or the full daytime program and they want to talk to you about what Bear Valley has meant to them and how it's changed their life, how learning to study the Bible deeply has changed their life. So I hope you'll stay for that. And then after that, Aaron Sprouse is going to speak to us and it's both of these sessions are going to be great and encouraging. So please stay with us. You've got about 
20 minutes before the forum starts. You take your bike room where shares got her buckets and fill your bucket, or you can take a restroom break. But we'll see you back here at 2 o'clock. See the title of that book. Have you filled a bucket today? <laughs> Carol McCloud. I'm going to write it all down. Curious. Yeah. 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 Yeah.